quite a conceptual art school. I would ask them, can you teach me how to weld? They said, no, we have rules and regulations. Tell us where to weld it and we'll do it for you. And that was hugely disappointing to me because I wanted to do it myself. I was frustrated and I was talking to a friend of mine, an artist. He said, you know where you should go? You should go to Pietrasanta. I had no plan really, I just hitchhiked here with only my backpack and um, I didn't really have a place to stay so I went up to La Roca and I climbed over a wall and I slept there. There was a bunch of uh, old catalogues lying around <laughs> and in them was the address of Armand's studio. I went over and I said, hi, um, I really like your work and I want to, to learn something from you. So here I am. It felt like I got a second chance at life. So I asked myself, what was the thing that you were most passionate about? What, what did you really want to do with your life? And uh, it was art, so I feel like I'm back on track, actually. <laughs> The shock was that I was mortal. I'd never really realized that I was mortal. I, I was still thinking that I was immortal. Hi, this is Sarah with another episode of Materially Speaking, where artists tell their stories through the materials they choose. Today I'm meeting Badria Hammerlink, a young Dutch artist who lives and works in The Hague. She first made her way to Pietrasanta hitchhiking, with a backpack and not much else, in 2007. I chatted with her late last summer when we were free to move around. We struggled to meet because I had to do an airport run. Many places were still closed and to compound our frustration that morning, we woke to torrential rain. However, I was so glad we made it happen. Badria's determination as well as her work is inspiring. She is known for her minimal yet monumental style and recently mastered the Japanese technique of stone splitting. Her inspiration is dealing with the nature of being. My name is Badria Hamelink. I'm an artist. What inspires you? What, uh, what are the things that inspire pieces of art for you? Well, for example, recently I went hiking in Garfagnana and I saw all these incredible rock formations and there was this, this power, this absolute power of the universe, the power that pressed everything together and made mountains rise up. And there's something very fascinating about that to me. And how would you describe your work? I made an evolution from very distinct shapes towards work where I don't so much give shape to the stone, but I invite coincidence by breaking it and then working with it. So it's, it's a controlled coincidence. Do you find 
do you discover something in the stone or do you have a idea, a, a sort of something that you wish to create that you put into the stone? Are we talking about that, that collusion where the stone inspires something and then out of that your creativity kicks in? Not really. I never really work like that. I always work from the idea and I think the idea has gotten stronger in the sense that first they were really one. The idea and the object had to be one. That was very important to me. Now I create works where the idea is a leading and the material is a consequence of that. I would not just look at a stone and then get an idea. I would start out with the idea, but I will break the stone. That's something that I'm doing now. I break the stone and then I work with the result. But there is already a significance to it and a meaning to it that's premeditated. What stones do you choose and why? I always choose stones that are very homogeneous because I feel that they don't distract from the shape too much. So I really love Bianco P. It's a white marble with hardly any veins. And the black granite, of course, very different to work with, but it really has a charm as well. You have to go straight to the skin and then finish it off. With marble, there is more space for trying things out. It's less absolute. With granite, you have to really know exactly what you're going to do and you do it. Then you get really, really good results because it's maybe from one side very unforgiving, but from the other side, it really enables you to work in a very refined manner. Where were you born? I was born in Amsterdam. You lived there ever since? No, actually I moved when I was one to Ilpendam and then my parents split up when I was three and then I moved to The Hague and I've lived there until I was 18. Are your parents artists? How were your early influences to become an artist? How did um, that come about? When I was 11 or 12, my mom had enrolled in a sculpture class and I went along. And um, as the teacher saw that I really liked it, at some point he gave me a stone. It was a gray piece of soapstone. I saw a dove in it. It looked like a dove to me. So I made a dove. That was my first work in stone. I was, I think I was 12. My father is a, is a writer, he's a poet actually. Both of them are Dutch, Dutch professors. There was uh, always a lot of art in the house. For example, we had a print, I think it was a litho print by Francis Bacon. And my father loved this print and my mother hated it. Every time that she would clean the house, she would take it off the wall and she'd turn it around. And then when my father would see the damage done, he would restore it, put it back up. The silent battle went on for quite a while. What did you think of the painting? This was a strange painting. To a little girl, I couldn't make much sense of it, but uh, I've, I've grown to love it now. And so your childhood, did you go to a normal school or did you go to an art school early on? It was a Waldorf school. I don't know if you know about that. They've got a more intuitive way of learning and there's a lot of attention for art as well. Actually, you're supposed to stay in that school from the first grade until you're 18 years old. But I changed schools when I was 12 and then I went to the gymnasium, like a, a lyceum. Okay. And there was a lot of classical art. I remember coming into this building and there was these Greek sculptures in the hallway. And I was very impressed. I thought, wow, that's a cool school. I want to go there. Yeah, a lot of attention for the classics. And what did you enjoy the most? Definitely art. Yeah. 
Yes, yeah, definitely art. And also biology and philosophy. Those were my three favorites. And what did you do after school? Um, when I was 18, I went to live in Sri Lanka for a year. I'd never heard of that country and I thought, well, I should definitely go there because that would be an adventure. So I went there. I started out as a volunteer of the Women's Development Foundation. Halfway through the year, the tsunami wave hit the country. I decided I was going to start an orphanage together with the Women's Development Foundation. I made a project proposal and I got a lot of money to start this orphanage with. But then somehow the organization that I was working for got corrupted and uh, that ended badly. So uh, I decided to leave them. And then I was doing martial arts for half a year and also started a cultural center and a musical center together with a friend uh, from the States who came over to help after the tsunami. It was a music center for children of four different religions and they would all make music together. So that was my uh, adventure with being an activist youngster. And it really made me realize the power of culture and what it means if you don't have culture to fall back on. It was very hard for them to pick up their lives or to envision something in the future because they didn't have anything to measure their reality to. They didn't have anything that would inspire them to aspire to something bigger than what they had seen so far. What sort of thing are you thinking of? If you are in a situation where you lose everything, you need courage to build it up again and you need to have some sort of vision. And if you don't, then you'll just sit around and wait for somebody to give you money or something, something else to happen. It really made me see the importance of civilization. After Sri Lanka... What, what happened next? I went back to Holland and uh, I wanted to go to art school, but my family told me I should go to university because I'd done the Lyceum and uh, at least I would be able to make some money. <laughs> so I listened to them. It wasn't the right decision. I found out quite soon. But um, first I studied literature at the University of Amsterdam. I was going to go for philosophy. My father convinced me to go for literature. That way I could always be a teacher. Both of those, totally not my thing, neither literature nor teaching. But I tried. And after half a year, I'd already traded university for art school. Also in Amsterdam. Also in Amsterdam. The Gerrit Rietveld Academy, a course that was called Word and Build. Something like Word and Image. It was a course which involved creative writing and art. But soon enough, I was gravitating much more towards the art than towards writing. Yeah, I started to work with actual materials. At some point, I made something out of clay, and I really liked it. And then I remembered stone, so I went back to that. At first, the teachers were very enthusiastic, but because it was the first year and it was quite a conceptual art school, they were like, okay, so now we know that you can do that. Now you should go and try something else. I went like, no, I don't want to try something else. I want to do this. It was um, not so easy to learn any techniques in this art school. For example, I would go to the metal department and I would ask them, can you teach me how to weld? And they said, no, we have rules and regulations for fire control and so on. So you just tell us where to weld it and we'll do it for you. And that was hugely disappointing to me because I wanted to do it myself. I was frustrated and I was talking to a friend of mine, Emmanuel Klein, also a sculptor, an artist. 
He said, you know where you should go? You should go to Pietra Santa. How long ago was that? That was in 2007. Mm-hmm. So and then I was 20 years old. You know, I had no plan, really. I just hitchhiked here with only my backpack. The only thing I knew was that I liked the work of Armand Achop. Because Emmanuel showed me pictures of all kinds of artists who worked here. He showed me Len Blumenfeld and he showed me Armand Achop and some others. And I really liked his work. There was something in it that really attracted me. So what do you think that was? Hard to put it into words. Mm. I would say it's very very centered, very self-contained in a way. I really like that. And of course, I also very much like the aesthetics, very simple and very mm, incorruptible. So I came here and um, I, I remember that I didn't really have uh, I didn't really have a place to stay. So I went up to La Roca and I climbed over a wall and I slept there. I really? was with a friend. I wasn't alone. I was with a friend at that point. And uh, there was a, there was a bunch of uh, old catalogs lying around. <laughs> and in them was the address of Armand's studio. So I went there and uh, I asked, is Armand a chop here? I had no idea what he looked like. And they were like, yeah, he's up there in the back. I went over and I said, hi, um, I'm uh, Susanna. At that point, I was calling myself Susanna. And uh, I really like your work and I want to, to learn something from you. And he went, okay, well, um, we return tomorrow. So I came back the next day and he had arranged Yunya Tanaka, a Japanese sculptor, to lend me his work to work on a little bit. It was a huge black granite column and it had cuts in it. And uh, I only had to remove the excess material but to me, that was very scary because I'd never worked with granite before and it was the work of somebody else. So in the beginning, I started out very carefully. But then after a while, I got the hang of it and I was hammering away. And then I completely lost track of everything. And then somebody tapped on my shoulder and it was Martin Foote. Oh, yes. Armand had asked Martin if I could work in the studio for two months. And this was Studio Cervietti. So I did and uh, stayed for a year. Wow. With some periods in between where I was working in other places. Would you say that you were apprenticing with someone, helping them with their work, or were you already developing your own? I was developing my own. I wasn't actually apprenticing in that sense. But since I was a, a young artist, everybody was very helpful. I learned a lot I had to learn Italian first, but then when I had learned Italian, there were so many artigiani who would just come by once every so often and take a look and tell you that you were doing that all wrong and you should do it like this and like this. And I had a great time. So you did a year at what is now called La Poverera, is that mm -hmm. right? Uh, yes. I lived in Tanzano in the winter, so I was gone for about four or five months. Okay. So your experience of Pietro Santa in 2007 was positive. It was a very inclusive place. How did you feel discovering a place like this? It has two sides. It's very inclusive, but it's also a small village. I feel that the Italians are very um, open and uh, extroverted and always out on the piazza and there's a, it's very lively. And I totally fell in love with that. But there's also the other side where it's absolutely family culture and you're either within the family or you're not. 
So that's also there. And um, spending the winter in Zano was pretty lonely for a youngster. <laughs> why, why did you go up there? Well, um, I was very short on money in that period because I had to somehow finance this year. I had some help from my mom, but I was living on, I think, 300 euros a month, of which 200 were rent. <laughs> so that was 100 euros. And, uh, and at Zano, I could live with a very little money and spend the winter and still have a studio because there I would rent my house and studio for the same amount. But it was cold. It was very cold. <laughs> but the food was good. Well, so I had to cook myself, so food was moi. <laughs> I was 20, I didn't really know how to cook back then. Students tend to live off pasta anyway. So. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking in 2020, and I'm wondering how the COVID pandemic experience may have affected your outlook, your work, your future plans. It hasn't really caused me to change anything fundamentally. Maybe I hang out with people a little less, but I was already somebody who was more or less working by themselves. The only thing that I think has changed is that the focus will be a little bit more on the digital because it's easier to reach your public. Has the new technology changed the way you've worked over the last period? I do use the computer for editing images and I use those as sketches. I am also working on something and I'm not really sure what I think about it yet, but it involves 3D scanning. So that is the most technological thing that I've done so far. So what are you working on now in Pietrasanta? We're in August 2020. What are you working on this week? I'm working on a work that involves reflection in two axes, horizontally and vertically. It's slightly architectural and it's very symmetric. There is a new theme where symmetry and reflection have become quite important. That started out a year ago. I had uh, I'd had an accident where I fell from uh, four and a half meters and hit my head quite badly. So I had some brain damage or at least a very heavy concussion, and I couldn't I couldn't work a lot. I was in an rehabilitation for uh, about a year. I was sitting in this rehabilitation center and I'm sitting looking at my phone. I started uh, reworking photos of work that I'd made or of stones that I had taken. I was just playing around and I started mirroring some images and mirroring became an act in itself. And of course, as a result, symmetry became very important. Before, I had always purposely gone away from symmetry. I thought it was boring. Symmetry was boring. And I always tried to create something that was slightly asymmetrical. But now I found that symmetry has a certain power, this absoluteness. If you look at, for example, architecture, you can see law buildings or something like that. The old temples of the Greek, they're symmetrical. And they express a certain balance, equanimity, and that's what interests me about it. And the reflection, of course, is also metaphorical in a way. That must have been quite a shock to the system. Absolutely. Not only to the system, especially to the mind, I think. The shock was that I was mortal. 
I never really realized that I was mortal. I, I was still thinking that I was immortal. Nothing had really occurred to make me realize that. And it gives a quite different perspective to life. What was the biggest change, do you think, out of that incident? Biggest change would be that I, I see myself and my life in a different light. The first thing that really came to mind after this had happened was, wow, I'm still here. I can be here. With that comes a certain determination, I think. How long ago was that? This was uh, the 3rd of March, 2019. I had to take a lot of rest. I had to really learn to switch gears. It wasn't so easy for me because uh, usually when I'm in the flow of creating something and I'll just go on. There was no need to stop before and now I can't do that anymore. So sometimes I feel like I've aged a lot. <laughs> I have to really plan everything, be very careful about everything. Otherwise I get these tremendous headaches. So nothing is for granted anymore. You can't just assume that it will be fine and we'll have to plan and make sure that it will be fine. And I guess the upside, if you can call it, that might be the focus and the determination that you mentioned earlier. What excites you now? What, what has sort of come to the top of your priority list now? It's definitely art. Of course, it was already on the top of my priority list, but uh, I had uh, gotten a child and uh, that took a lot of energy and time as well. But it felt like I got a second chance at life. And so I asked myself, what was the thing that you were most passionate about? What, what did you really want to do with your life? And uh, it was art. So I feel like I'm back on track, actually. <laughs> Great. So thanks to Bedria Hammerlink, you can see her work on her Instagram, Bedria underscore Hammerlink, or her website, Bedria-Hammerlink.com. As with all episodes, you can find photographs of the work discussed on our website, materiallyspeaking.com, or on Instagram. If you're enjoying Materially Speaking, subscribe to our newsletter on our website, so we can let you know when our next episode goes live. And if you feel moved to leave a rating or review on your favourite podcast platform, we'll be delighted, as that will help people find us. In our next episode, I'm meeting Hus Joyce, who divides his time between the Netherlands and Italy. In my own work, I'm looking for pureness, honesty or clearness, and that you feel everything fits, everything falls in its place. And I always said to my students, uh, feel like uh, if you remember how you could play as a, as a child. You know, and children are playing in a very serious way. It's about life and death. Listen out for Roos Joyce, Serious Play.